Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With the same place AFC South and NFC East previews behind us, we head into the home stretch with the Bears' home division and kick things off with the Motor City Kitties, the Detroit Lions. Can the Lions continue to improve, and is there life after Megatron? Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit joins us for the NFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Here we are heading into the home stretch as we start. We start the beat, we start the end, if you will, with the NFC North kicking things off with the Detroit Lions. What's going on, everybody? Larry D back, episode number 11 of 14. We are so close to the end. 11 of 14 uh, episodes previewing the 2016 season for our beloved Chicago Bears. We finally get into the NFC North. Our friend, Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit on SB Nation be joining us here in just a few minutes to talk about the Lions and what a crazy year they had. Uh, you know, starting out one and seven, uh, firing their general manager, their team president. You know, uh, somehow Jim Caldwell saves his job. They start one and seven. They go six and two. I mean, with uh, you know the, those crazy two games that they had with Green Bay last year. You know, obviously the controversial game in in Detroit between the Bears uh, and the Lions that that touchdown catch rule thing. You know, rearing its head. We talked to Jeremy about all of that um, in a friendly way. Jeremy is a good guy. Uh, I mentioned. Um, this is one of those episodes where I, I did the interview and now I'm doing the show uh, kind of thing. I did mention to him that uh, if it wasn't for him uh, being a Lions fan, I'd probably like him a whole lot more. And uh, and we'll, uh, <laughs> you know, very, very much the truth. You know, he's a really cool guy. It's just unfortunate his allegiances lie somewhere else. But, um, you know, it um, here we go, man. It's July. Happy Fourth of July! I mean, today's the fifth, but Happy Fourth of July! I hope you guys had a great, uh, hope you had a great holiday weekend. Uh, I did not. Uh, I'm an Uber driver here in the Quad City area, and uh, my brakes went out on me on Saturday. So as I'm sitting here right now, my my brakes are being fixed, and I'm going to be paying with money I don't have uh, in order to uh, take care of that. So that's always awesome. Uh, always a good time. Um, no new news on the Bears front uh, going into this show. So. Uh, We'll be uh, getting to the Jeremy Reisman interview rather quickly here. Um, just want to let you guys know uh, we do have uh, Evan Western from Acme Packing Company coming up uh, later on this uh, later on this week, and uh, then we'll have uh, Chris Gates next weekend on the 16th. That's when I'll be talking to him. Hopefully, get that show out that day. And um, 
then um, still working on something for the Bears. I don't know what I'm going to do there. Uh, I'm going to send out a flyer to Jeff Dickerson, see if we can get him back out on the show. If not, i got a few other targets I might uh, go after. Push comes to shove. We can always have fellow Bear fan uh, Ron Rugg from Football is America on to uh, to preview the season and, uh, you know, what uh, what thoughts he has and, uh, and whatnot. And, um, you know, if you're also looking for something to do between Bear shows, I am on the Football is America show uh, as well, myself and, uh, you know, Ron Rugg, Kyle Frank, um, the three guys on, on that show. And um, we cover the entire NFL, not just the Bears, because Kyle's a, a Colts fan, uh, actually. So uh, we do cover a lot of the, the NFL. And, and Ron does a really good job of digging up these headlines. Like, I have no idea that these things are happening. Ron finds them out somehow, and, and we talk about them uh, on the uh, on the show. So um, give that a listen uh, from time to time. Th- th- let that be your general football show. Let this be your bear show, and uh, then you're, you're you're living life right if that's how you're if that's how you're doing it. So, um, but like I said, no no real news uh, coming out of uh, coming out of Bears camp uh, these days. Uh, today being the fifth of uh, July, we are 22 days. 22 days away from the Bears reporting to camp on the 27th, and I'm not sure if they have a practice on that day or if it's the 28th, that Thursday, if that's when their first uh, training camp practice uh, is. But uh, nonetheless, we're we're three weeks away from this whole thing getting kicked off, and you know we're about a month or so, I think a month to the day away from the Bears playing their first preseason game at home against the Broncos. Let me pull that up real quick. Oh, I'm I'm way off actually. August 11th, so a little over a month. Uh, August 11th, Thursday night at home against the uh, the Broncos. Then we go on the road to at Can- uh, New England. Then our dress rehearsal game at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. Then, as usual, finishing on the road uh, at Cleveland to to wrap up the preseason before we kick off uh, this uh, this regular season. So, but um, you know, looking over the headlines now, nothing going on with the. Uh, with the Bears, except for apparently it was Jay Cutler's. No, never mind. Anyway, it's uh, it's almost time. It is almost time to really get this thing kicked off in this long and dreaded off season. You know, it's like it. Honestly, at times like this, during this off season period, I wish I was a hockey fan. Like, I, I wish that that was my sport. I wish that I was a basketball fan. Hell, sometimes I wish I was a baseball fan because even there, the off season before, uh, you know, um, spring training and everything starts from from the end of October, beginning of November, you only have three and a half months until pitchers and catchers report in February. You start playing games in March. It's only three or four months as opposed to, you know, seven or eight months for the NFL I mean, even from the end of the Super Bowl to the first preseason game is six full months from that point. And, you know, it's uh, it's a pain in the ass, man, to wait half a year for the new season to start. It sucks. With basketball, the season ends in June. It kicks. I mean, the regular season starts in October, you know, it, with the NF, with the NBA. You know, the last game was played, what, a week and a half, two weeks ago? The kickoff, the tip-off is in, like, second and last week in October. Same thing for for hockey. You're only looking at maybe three, four months tops, and that's that's not including the preseason. So, you know, I, I, I am envious of those sports. I really wish 
that the 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 regular season or you know something that the off season was much shorter for football uh, than it is. So I mean, you have those milestone events. You got the draft. You have free agency. Kind of wet the wet the palate, if you will. But uh, you know, once the draft is over, that's four months from the end of the draft to the beginning of preseason. That sucks, man. That is a long time wait for something to happen. So uh, anyway. We'll go ahead and get started here with Jeremy Reisman, um, and we'll, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll have the Chris Gates and then Evan Western on to finish up the division, and then whatever I've got cooking for the for the Bears show is getting closer all the time, getting closer all the time. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. And have- The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Our conversation with Jeremy about the 2016 Detroit Lions. And here we are getting started with the NFC North. And, and as we like to do, we, we, we go from, from worst to first, and we won't talk about who actually finished worst in the division right now. We're just, you know, it doesn't count at the moment. So last year's second worst finisher in the Detroit Lions, we bring on Jeremy Reisman from uh, Pride of Detroit on SB Nation. Jeremy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Larry. I'm proud to be the, the third place guest on your podcast. Hey, 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 come on now. Be nice. You're a, you're a guest. You're supposed to be nice to the host and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, you know, it was quite an interesting year uh, for the Lions, Jeremy. It was, you know, up and down, uh, you know, start the year. Um, what was it, like 0-5 to get started there? Yep. And we won't talk about how you got that first victory. Um, you know, <laughs> what the hell with it? Let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> okay, let's get into it. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll talk about it for just a few minutes before I lose my mind. Um, you know that that first game, you're zero five. Uh, I mean, the Bears are what two and two and three at the time, so it's not like it was a battle a battle of the you know, heavyweights or anything like that. But um, you know, the the one thing that that we Bear fans and you Lions fans can can often remember the moment of the whole game happened just before halftime, I believe. Um, yeah, Golden Tate uh, had a ball, uh, you know, land in his hands in the end zone, which was quickly popped out and resulted that was initially called correctly, I might add, an interception. <laughs> but after, upon further review, uh, because uh, Golden Tate had a toenail on the ground when he had the ball in his hands, that meant he had control, and therefore it was a touchdown. It was, if nothing else, if it felt like karmic revenge for the Calvin Johnson game in 2010 what are, what are your thoughts on that 
Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the the feeling I had, it, you know, immediately after the game. And I know this is a much bigger deal to Bears fans than it is to Lions fans. I think Lions fans have pretty much all but forgotten this. And uh, I know Bears fans still kind of hold on to this one a lot. But I, com- I can completely understand because I still am so angry about the Calvin Johnson thing at uh, at uh, in Chicago that one season and in 2010, as you said. Um, I still hold a huge grudge for that. And, and you see what that has kind of begat since, the, you know, now there's the Calvin Johnson rule. And it's it's gotten it seem it's seemingly gotten worse and worse every year. Yeah. Um, if you want my opinion on the play itself, I, you know, in the media aftermath of the play, I went and looked at the rule book and I took a look at a bunch of gifts. I slowed down highlights and all that stuff. And the verdict that I came to is I don't know. Yeah. And that's. That's the that's the beautiful part about it is that you can sit and argue about it all day long. And whether you're a Bears fan or a Lions fan or I remember watching NFL Network and ESPN, nobody could agree on what actually happened there. Right. You know, the only thing that they could agree upon was he caught it. Then Jonathan Anderson had it and it was ruled an interception. But. He got the second foot down, so that's the end of the play. But wait, isn't he supposed to carry it through, the, you know, complete the football motion or all that kind of stuff? I mean, it just it set off another another argument. And, um, you know, the Bears and Lions again, which is initially where this whole argument began with, with the, you know, six years ago now with yeah. the Calvin Johnson uh, rule. And, you know, it's just like the NFL – it's it's just one of the. It kind of reminds me of that whole argument, you know, way back in the day when when uh, they were trying to make rulings on pornography, and that one senator or whatever said, um, you know, I can't describe pornography, but I can, I you know, I can tell you what it is. I know it when I see it, is what right. he said, and that's kind of what the NFL has on on the catch. I can't describe a catch for you, but I'll know it when I see it. Right, kind of thing. That's kind of the 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 what they've adopted as far as being able to explain what a catch is and, and what isn't. I mean, and it happened in the Super Bowl again yeah. where um, the, the Panthers uh, made a made a play. And, you know, when I was looking at it, I was like, well, that looks like a catch to me. And even the expert on CBS, Mike Carey, I think was, who has lost his job since yep. then. But yep. um, he said he thought it was a catch, and he described why he thought it was a catch. Then after the replay, they come back, and they don't rule it a catch. They rule it an incomplete pass, and, and you know, uh, Carolina ended up having to punt or, or whatever. But even in the biggest game with the whole world watching, the NFL still couldn't come to consensus. They had people disagreeing on television on the Super Bowl what was a catch and what wasn't right there you know, for the whole world to see. Right. And I think part of the problem is it, it just becomes very hard to write a rule book that makes it very, very black and white to to make sure that it, that also lines up with our kind of, you know, our viewpoint of, you know, like we say, we, we kind of know a catch when we see one, but it's hard to put that into very specific black and white rules in the rule book. And that's the problem that the NFL has been having since the Calvin Johnson rule kind of came into inception. Yeah. And, and even when they try to simplify it, they make it you know, overly complicated exactly. and, uh, you know, they start adding addendums to, to, you know, well, this catch is, you know, control the ball, two feet on the ground, inbounds. But then again, if maybe if it's an elbow or a knee or this or that, or if it's in the end zone, as soon as the second foot's down, it's like, it's just a, a right. gigantic, gigantic mess. So um, anyway, that was your one victory in the first, <laughs> uh, first eight games. Um, yep. 
you know, the Bears specialized in that last year. Uh, the, you know, I'm still pissed off about their loss to San Francisco uh, last year. Yeah. Because the, the 49ers um, gave the Bears about six chances to win that game in regulation, and they didn't do it. And I think that, you know, the Lions gave the Bears a few opportunities to, to win that game. Uh, in regulation and we didn't do it so I never complain about what happened in overtime because that's straight up kind of best man wins type situation so I I don't really I like I can't fault the 49ers for winning in overtime but it should have never gotten there and the same thing for the Bears and the Lions uh week six there um you know it shouldn't have gotten to that point that you know anyway um so after all that goes down a one and seven start did it happen before then or did it did it happen just after the Bears game. Basically, everyone who wasn't Jim Caldwell got fired uh, that week. The the first domino to fall was um, the offensive coordinator um, Lombardi. He got fired. Yeah, he got fired right before the Lions' bye week. Right before, or yeah, right before they traveled to London to get demolished by the Chiefs. Um, yeah, so he got fired then. Jim Bob Cooter didn't have a very good first outing in in uh, in in London, and you wouldn't really expect him to on you know half a week's notice. Um, right. But then they came back out of that bye. Um, after the bye, they ended up firing the general manager, um, and you know that's when all the dominoes really fell. And and yeah, and then they came out of the bye week and finished six and two, which is a very hard thing to explain when you get rid of your general manager because there's not really a lot a general manager does in the middle of a season. But uh, but yeah, it was I've never I've never experienced a, an NFL season or maybe any real sporting season that became so polarized. You see two completely different teams like that. So why was it that the chips had to fall in the middle of the season? like that. I mean, was it just because they just wanted to rip the bandaid off and get it over with or, you know, what was it that made it so necessary in the middle of the season like that? With with Joe Lombardi, I think it was an obvious choice. The offense, he had been given a full season and a half to to turn this offensive round and the offense had always perceived to have all the tools it needed to be somewhat successful. They had a lot of high, I mean, a lot of people are making a lot about the Lions going out and grabbing a bunch of offensive linemen in this draft. But what I don't think a lot of people realize is the three or four years before that, the Lions did the exact same thing. So they have, you know, three, I think all five starters, all five projective starters on, on this offensive line are either first or third round picks in the last five, six years. So, so the Lions had all the tools to have a good offense and Joe Lombardi could not get anything going. And, that had a lot of reason to do with the Lions' slow start in 2015. Um, 2015, 2014, even though the Lions made the playoffs that year, their offense was not that not that good. The defense carried that team, so it was it was a no brainer to to get rid of Lombardi. And a lot of people have always kind of talked about their new new offensive coordinator Jim Bob Cooter as an up and coming guy. So. I think the Lions wanted to give him kind of a test run. Here's nine weeks, nine games. Prove yourself that you're you're ready to take the jump to offensive coordinator, and you can be part of the the future with this team. Yeah, just despite his uh, his truly awful name, he is uh, <laughs> an up and coming. Um, isn't his name James Robert? But he makes people call him Jim Bob. Well, of course, yeah. I That's mean, just that just <laughs> makes it worse. I mean, James Cooter. That doesn't sound bad. You know, or Robert Cooter, but Jim Bob Cooter, Jesus Christ, man. 
it's a cultural thing, man. I think. Uh, I guess. I mean, I just, <laughs> I don't get that at all. So, uh, you know, I think, I think, I think players actually love it. And I know Lions fans love it. Just, I mean, you, it's hard not to snicker when you hear the name. It is definitely hard not to <laughs> snicker when you hear Jim Bob Cooter. You know, I, I, I'm thinking like cats, you know, coonskin hat and he's got a rifle. He's missing a tooth. He's got a corn pop pipe and, you know, all that. kind. He's wearing overalls and, you know, with no shirt on, of course. And, <laughs> of course. And he's barefoot and, you know, calling plays on the sidelines, you know. But don't forget, he's he's got Shaw and he's spitting into a, you know, a Folgers can or something like that just to kind of drive the point home for you. <laughs> But um you know so they start out 1 and 7 they finish uh 6 and 2 um you know a rather crazy second half uh, of the season including two insane games with the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Um basically the game I mean the the game that set it off as far as that kind of getting on the winning ways there was at Lambeau their first real victory in Lambeau because I think they beat them in Milwaukee in 94 or something like that but first right. win in Lambeau since before Favre was the quarterback like 91 or something like that yeah I believe that's right yeah and yeah that was a huge monkey off the back and I think if if you were to ask Lions fans at the beginning of the season would you take a 7-9 and season but beating the Packers on the road over uh, a ten and six season, but getting ousted in the first round of the playoffs, I think a good majority of those fans would probably take the seven and nine season with a win in Lambeau. <laughs> That's how long it had been <laughs> yeah. since the win in Lambeau. I mean, but that game itself was just number one, it completely come out of left field for the Lions to be able to win that game. Sure. You know, the Packers were were they was that the no? There was was it the week before they lost to, to Denver? I think. Like I they, think so. Yeah, because they had like a two-game losing streak there. So it was like they lost in Denver on national television, and then they come home, you know, and you figure, well, they're going to be pissed after getting – I mean, because they got embarrassed in Denver. And they come home, they got the Lions. The Lions are 1-7. This should be a slam-dunk win for the for the Packers, or it should be anyway. And, yeah, no, not at all. And, you know, the the ending of that game was especially crazy. I mean, wasn't there like an onside kick and – yeah, um, a, a missed field goal for the Packers. I mean, there was just... a few things like the Lions had that game wrapped up, but they missed two extra points in that game, which lended themselves lended the Packers to still being within eight points. So the Packers go down, they score the game tying touchdown, miss the two point conver- conversion. Right there's, at this point, there's like forty seconds left in the game, so game's over. Except that Calvin Johnson fumbles the ensuing onside kick. Packers get a chance; they're in field goal range. And the weirdest field goal you'll ever see happened. It, it it looks like a shank, and you can. But it, it it appears to be tipped, but you can't figure out who it's by. Some people actually thought it was by the holder's other hand. So he's holding the ball with other one hand, and it, it's hard to tell. There's been close-ups. It, it looks like it p- potentially hit the holder's other hand, which is something I've never even heard of happening. You know what? That makes a lot of sense because as I'm kind of like replaying it in my head, I remember like that ball barely got off the ground, but it didn't look like any of the Lions touched it. It just had this this weird like hook where it just barely went over the Lions and then just kind of died like the kick yeah. never had a chance So hearing it that it may have gone off his other hand. That actually makes uh, a lot of sense as to far as far as that went uh, as far as how that happened. Yeah. Then you fast forward. What? Three, four weeks, three yep. weeks into the future, 
Thursday night football for the the Lions and the Packers again, and <laughs> I just remember I, I came home from work that night. I wasn't feeling well, so I laid down. I take a nap. I wake up. It's twenty to nothing. The Lions are destroying the Packers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, boy, the Lions really got Green Bay's number this year. And then slowly but surely, it's twenty to twenty to three. It's twenty to ten. It's twenty, you know. And then next thing you know, uh, here we are at the end, and it's twenty three to. 21 or something like that and i watched the uh watched the hail mary happen and um you know i've seen it half a dozen times or so since then and i still can't believe it yeah it's that that play was i I mean just the emotional ride of that game was insane because as as insane of an idea of the lions potentially making the playoffs after one and seven it was a real thought in lions fans head before this game and then when they were up 20 to nothing it's like well if we can take on the Packers and potentially sweep the Packers who's going to stop us down the stretch you know they had the Rams Saints 49ers Bears those games all suddenly look very winnable with with a sweep of the Packers and then to see that happen in that fashion where the Lions aren't even in a Hail Mary defense at the moment they have two guys about 10 10 feet 10 yards off the line of scrimmage just standing there guarding nobody and and I mean that that was the easiest looking Hail Mary I've ever seen and it was so frustrating and so disheartening to just I mean you know that's the end of the season right there and after starting 1 and 7 you think you know the season's already over but just like the magic of of beating the Packers that sort of optimism is is contagious, and it'll lead you to believe some unthinkable things. Right. And just to have that taken away from you on one of the most ridiculous plays ever really yeah. sucks. It sucks. <laughs> I was just watching, uh, I don't know if you, if you had a chance, the, the All or Nothing show for the Arizona Yep, I've, I've already I binged the whole thing, and yeah. Yeah, I was so happy to see that play all over again. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, um, <laughs> Bruce Arians made a point. He's like, here, watch this. Here's what not to do on a Hail Mary. Right. You know, you got to get a – actually, I don't think it was Arians. I think it was their defensive coordinator who was like, you got to get a, a body on a body, body on a body. You see this guy that's just kind of trailing, you know, that's the guy who ends up catching the ball un, uncontested right. in the end zone, basically. You know, he just kind of jumps in front of everybody. Nobody gets a body on him. He just jumps in, catches the ball. Hey, look at that. Look what I got. The touchdown. Game over. Just when, you know, pulled – pulled victory from the jaws of defeat on that one it was just a just a crazy how that all went down yeah and i mean you have to give credit to rogers too i mean the fact that arizona was ready for that and then got got basically two hail marys back to back on them in the playoff game at home that dude is insane not to mention it was a hell of a throw to get the ball it was like 70 yards in the air to get it into the end zone yep uh, anyway, all the Packer love aside, um, so you get through the season, you finish seven and nine, and I was kind of looking at it. You were, you were a lousy call on Monday Night Football in Seattle, and that hail mary away from a nine and seven season uh, for the for the Lions, which would have kind of put you in in the conversation. Yeah, for playoffs. I think a, a couple fans ran mathematical. You know things. I think if they had won those both both those games, they actually would have been in the playoffs. So I mean, that's just kind of crazy how that all went down, and it was kind of um, you know you you had that six and two groundswell there at the end, 
you know, a hairs away from a seven and one finish, which is a night and day, one and seven start, seven and one finish because of the Hail Mary. Um, Jim Caldwell ends up keeping his job, even though everybody above him, including the people who hired him, were let go. And, you know, what were your thoughts on Caldwell staying, you know, and even more so, he's got to be on the hottest seat in the NFL this year, especially with guys like with with Cooter and even, you know, Terrell Austin, mm-hmm. um, you know, guys that, that interview. Well, Terrell Austin, especially interviewed for head coaching jobs this past offseason. If you got to think if the Lions can come back to at least a, a shred of what they were in 2014, Austin's going to be a head coach somewhere next season. Could he be the guy that takes over for Caldwell if if the Lions get off to a slow start again? That's I mean, that's an interesting thought. I think Terrell Austin would more be, you know, the interim guy if they decide to give get rid of Caldwell midseason. Sure. I think if and, and I, I have to say first that I was I was actually pretty surprised that Caldwell stuck around. Um, the Lions ended up hand, uh, hiring general manager Bob Quinn, who uh, was involved in Patriot personnel decisions for um, most of his career. And I thought he would kind of bring in his own guys. Um, you know, obviously the Patriots have a certain way of building their organization where everyone needs to be on the same page. So that's the kind of route I thought Bob Quinn was going with Detroit. Um, it hasn't quite bore out to be that way, but he actually has made a lot of internal changes too. You know, there's like a new training facility. There's a nutritionist on the salary now. And, and he's made a ton of changes, but for whatever reason, um, he decided to keep Caldwell around, um, but like you said, the Lions, I do feel, have some talented coaches at the coordinator positions. I just feel like if the Lions decide to, and maybe this is part of the reason Caldwell stuck around, is if kind of you lop off the head coach there, all the coordinators are going with him. It, it suddenly becomes harder to hire an offensive coordinator and promote him from within or anything like that. So the idea with some fans was the reason they kept Jim Caldwell is around so that they could keep um Terrell Austin as as their defensive coordinator keep Jim Bob Cooter as their offensive coordinator um but we'll see going into the season I do think he's very much on the hot seat Jim Caldwell is um a lot of people even think that he's kind of a lame duck that Jim or that Bob Quinn kind of wanted this first season have an excuse to maybe not do so well in his first year while they're rebuilding the roster in kind of his mind and you know once once he has the roster set, then he, he'll maybe put in a, a coaching system that he approves of. But I'm not sure I really buy that. The The way Bob Quinn has been talking about Caldwell is, is extremely positive, and he's obviously very um, popular with the, the players themselves. Um, but it all comes down to results in the end. So if the Lions don't make the playoffs, if they have a 6-10 and 10 or worse season, I think Caldwell's probably gone. Yeah, I would have to. I would have to think so. I mean, that was. I mean, th- two guys that I was certain were going to get fired last year were Jim Caldwell and Chuck Pagano. Yeah. And Caldwell is back, and Pagano got a four-year extension. So <laughs> it just shows what the hell I know, apparently. But um, you know, talking about uh, the Cooter and, and the offense, what was it that he was doing so much differently when he took over? Because Stafford had the best eight-game streak of his career. 19 touchdowns, only two interceptions, had the highest completion percentage of his career and finished with over 4,600 yards last year for, you know, an offense that still had the 32nd ranked run offense in the league. Right. Well, a lot of things kind of happened. 
the off the passing offense kind of became more of like a short yardage yards after the catch, almost West Coast style offense. Um, obviously, part of the reason for that was because of the poor offensive line play. Stafford just got beat the hell up in the first half of the season. Um, that that dwindled quite a bit in the second half, and then actually the running game, even though it finished thirty first in the league took a huge improvement amir abdullah i think averaged about four five four six a carry down the stretch in those last eight games as opposed to you know probably under three yards a carry through the first eight um a lot of that has to do with kind of going away from the zone blocking scheme in in the running game into just going one-on-one on the offensive line versus defensive line. They have these athletic or not. They don't actually have athletic offensive linemen. It's more um, brute force. So Jim Bob Cooter changed the running game to kind of fit that mold a little better and saw a pretty dramatic change in results. The question is whether he can continue with that or if now that teams have more tape on Jim Bob Cooter, are they going to adjust themselves? And that's, that's maybe the biggest question heading into the 2016 for the Lions. So I mean, is it is Abdullah the, the man going into into year number two uh, for him? Because like you said, you watch that all or nothing. Um, you know, he almost became an Arizona Cardinal if not for the Lions calling his name first. Right, and yeah, he's absolutely going to be their guy this year um, in terms of running the ball. I don't even know who number two on the team is right now. It might be Stephen Ridley. Um, it could be you know even some of these younger. There's an undrafted free agent from last year, Zach Zanner. He could potentially come in and take some significant carries away. Um, Theoretic is more of a receiving back, so I don't think Theoretic's going to be much of a guy to receive a lot of the carries. So yeah, Amir Abdullah in terms of the running game, he's your guy. He's going to get a big share of the carries, and depending on Stephen Ridley's uh, health he could get pretty much, you know, 80-90% of the carries for this team. So now with the offense, it's time to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> what um I mean, you know, what does life after Calvin Johnson look like for the receiving core going into 2016? Well, the the optimistic take on that is that the Lions kind of went to this short yardage passing offense at the end of the season and they're just going to continue that and it's not that Calvin Johnson isn't going to hurt his his Retirement isn't going to hurt the team, but it it doesn't necessarily impede the goals of the offense as it currently stands. Um, obviously, the Lions brought in Marvin Jones. He's going to be a guy that is going to take a, a bunch of those receptions that are now up for grabs. And the other guy that the Lions are looking to take a big step up is Eric Ebron, who's going to be entering his third year. He started to kind of pick up his production in his second year, but overall he's been kind of a disappointing first-round pick. This is going to be a break, uh, make-or-break year for Ebron. If he can't, you know, get up to 70, 80, you know, maybe 70, 80 catches is a bit much for him, but he needs to get right around that 1,000-yard mark for him to kind of live up to draft expectations this year. Well, yeah, he was, he was a top-10 pick, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I think he was number 10. Yeah, yeah, number 10 of the year for, for a tight end, you know, that's you're expecting a lot, you know, you're expecting like Vernon Davis type yeah. production from a guy that you a tight end that you take in the top 10. I mean, that's that's not exactly a top 10 position, you know, tight ends usually getting in the mid to late, you know, first rounders, like you know, a guy like Greg Olson, the Bears drafted 31 overall years ago. Um, that's kind of like where you where you're looking to pick your tight ends when you're when you're taking a tight end number 10 overall, you think he's something special. And for year number three, he's barely been a blip on the radar as far as 
the NFL is is uh, concerned, yeah, it's uh, he's got a lot to live up to. Absolutely, and the the crowd is only going to get you know more and more against him if he can't turn it around because the Lions had potentially a big need for defensive tech with Indomitian two on his last year of his contract, and Aaron Donald was sitting right there. But uh, the Lions decided to go with Ebron, and you know fans will remind you every second, every single time Eric Ebron drops the ball, someone on Twitter is saying Aaron Donald wouldn't have dropped it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is a beast, and that uh, that one still stinks because the Bears were sitting there at fourteen, mm-hmm. and um, you know we thought that we thought that, like all the you know like going into that one. It's uh, the Giants at 12 was the last hurdle. The yeah. Giants at 12 was the last hurdle. They took Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, at number 12, which obviously turned out all right for them. And they were like, okay, great. It's gonna, he's, gonna, he's, he's ours. We got him. And then the Rams take him at 13. Like, what? <laughs> the Rams have five first-round picks on the defensive line. Why the hell did they take him? And, of course, he's been an absolute monster for them, yep. which, you know, he could have been for us, the Rams bastards. But <laughs> – you know, and we got Kyle Fuller. Yay. Um, hey, man, we, we have his brother, Corey, and that hasn't yeah. worked out too well either. So Yeah, so, you know, there, <laughs> there's that at least. But, I mean, come on. So, But, but speaking of, you know, of, of wide receivers, you know, why not go for a wide receiver in the first round? I mean, was, was, was offensive line always the way that the, the Lions were projected to go? Because at 16, you had Treadwell, you had Doxon, and you had uh, Fuller sitting there you know ready to be taken that could have gone to you know to fill the void at some point or you know was um you know was it curly that they got and marvin jones is that was that you know satisfying enough for them for them to pass on a wide receiver at that point well i think it was clear at the beginning of the draft or after free agency at least that the lions had their number one receiver on the roster for for the 2016 season long term maybe a wide receiver would have made sense but not a lot of people were projecting the lines to take a wide receiver in the first few rounds just for that reason marvin jones was clearly their you know kind of 1b to to golden tate's 1a and so i don't think the lines are really looking to kind of have an offense where they have that pure number one guy I think the Lions are trying to transition away from that, build more of a running game, and the best way to do that, obviously, is to build through the offensive line. So I I wasn't surprised that the Lions didn't take a wide receiver. Um, I was surprised that they didn't take one in the draft period, but uh, in the first few rounds, I didn't think it really made sense for for Detroit. So transitioning over to uh, free agency really quick, you know, aside from the two wide receivers, um, you signed Stephen Ridley. You know, but mostly it's uh, these look like depth signings to me, as opposed to people that they were bringing into to be starters yeah, this year. Absolutely, the Lions added pretty much depth at every position, and it it remains to be seen how good that depth is actually going to be. But um, one of the free agent signings outside of Marvin Jones that might be a starter is a uh, safety Raphael Bush. The Lions lost their starter to free agency, Issa Abdul Kadus, and they've kind of been looking since then for a, a, a strong safety to play alongside um, Glover Quinn. The Lions did draft Miles Killebrew um, in either the third or fourth round this year, but I don't think he's going to be ready by the beginning of the season. So I think 
at this point, um, Raphael Bush is probably the biggest free agent acquisition outside of Marvin Jones to to expect some sort of contributions this year. So I'm looking at the the key veteran departures here, and in my my little magazine here, and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a who's who uh, on, on on the roster <laughs> right. for you guys there. In uh, Hitabo is gone, Joyke Bell, Kevin Johnson, obviously, Rasheen Mathis also retired. Manny Ramirez, he had a cup of coffee with the Bears before he decided he was done. Yep. And then Steven Tullock, the linebacker. It's like all these names being subtracted from the roster. You know, just looking at that, it's no wonder that this magazine has the Lions picked to finish fourth. I mean, that's a lot for the Lions to lose. It is. Um, I'm not sure outside of Calvin Johnson who in that list is someone who really played a definitive role on the team. You have Joyke Bell, but he was averaging well less than four carry towards the end of the year. Steven Tulloch, though he led the team in tackles last year, he'd really lost a step in terms of um, pass coverage. And in fact, he's actually still technically on the team for whatever reason. That's a whole different weird situation that I don't even know what's going on. No one knows what's going on. But um, him aside, um, you look at guys like James Ahedabo, all these guys are kind of past their primes and the lines are looking to become younger and better. So I honestly don't think outside of Calvin Johnson, um, there there's really been a guy that this team is going to miss this year. But that being said, I'm, I'm still not sure that the lines have great options at, at their replacement either. Right. And so we, we move on to the, to the draft. We touched upon it just for a moment there. Taylor Decker, your first round pick, uh, the offensive tackle from Ohio state, who's, most famous at the moment for being the guy that pushed Jalen Smith in the back um, when he blew out his knee in the was it the Fiesta Bowl? I think so. That's right. Yeah, but uh, that's the guy who pushed him to, for for him to take that awkward step. And then Ashawn Robinson in the second round, the defensive tackle from Alabama. So to me, that looks like he got two first round picks there at one and two because for a while in the you know people projecting the drafts or you know the mock drafts and what I've. I saw a few times Ashawn Robinson going to the Bears at eleven yeah. in the first round there for a you know a few times, and four out of the first five picks were offense were linemen, um, and three of them were offensive. Linemen. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's pretty clear what what Bob Quinn wants to do with this team, and it's building the trenches. And and like yeah. you said, getting Ashawn Robinson in the second round was viewed as a huge get. Um, a lot of defensive linemen, for whatever reason, fell in this draft. And yeah, they did. And the Lions had their their pick of the litter really there in the second round still. So, um, yeah, Ashawn Robinson not really projected to start yet right off right off the bat, but he's going to get a lot of time there in the rotation. Um, we'll see how he does in training camp. But at the at the moment, he's still pretty much slotted behind Haloti Nada and, and Tyron Walker. But uh, you know, by the end of the season, I expect this guy to be playing at least you know, right around 50% of the snaps. So, I mean, there's a heck of a guy to be learning from in Holati Nada. I mean, yep. just, you know, even even at his quote-unquote advanced age, he's still, you know, a road gator. He's he's a load to, to try to move right there in the middle of the line like yep. that. So um, anybody on this, uh, on the list, um, you know, you mentioned Miles Killebrew. Uh, anyone else on the, on the list that, uh, you know, for the draft class that um, – is raising eyebrows or someone that might uh, might be a contributor this year. 
Well, outside of Taylor Decker, who um, most notably has been getting snaps at left tackle, I think a lot of people, myself included, thought he might be a a right tackle in this first year. But it looks like he's going to slide over to the left tackle, which means Riley Reef is going to move over to right tackle. And uh, and this is a contract year for Riley Reef, so he's going to be motivated to put something on tape because it's not really clear if he's going to be around with the Lions next year. Um, but if we, we search a little bit further down, you got Graham Glasgow in the, in the third round. He's currently not really projected to start at center this year, but he also provides a little security there because um, things haven't been going great with the Lions' current center. He's also coming up uh, on a contract year soon. So, again, it's kind of, it's kind of a depth draft, um, which doesn't sound great for a team that finished third in their division you know you you figure they're trying to get at least three or four starters out of this team and maybe they will down the road but you're really not going to see a lot of rookie uh contributions out of this team this year uh at least nothing on the stat board i mean you'll get taylor decker you'll get a sean robinson killebrew might get in there outside of that you have antoine williams a linebacker in the in the fifth round there the lines are a little um they're a little weak at, at the at depth at linebacker, but essentially the Lions only really play with two linebackers on the team uh, in their base formation. Um, even though they're technically a four-three team, they they t- they typically have five defensive backs out there and two linebackers. And the Lions are set with their two linebackers. You know they have DeAndre Levy, um, who's who's considered pretty much uh, an all-star linebacker when he's healthy, and and the hope is that he's healthy this year. And and then you also have, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you have uh, Josh, not Josh Bynes, Tahir Whitehead starting at the other spot. So it's it's really not a draft class that you're going to see make a huge splash in the rookie years, but it's it's a developmental one and one that's hopefully going to build depth at some positions of need. You also drafted a Michigan quarterback in the sixth round. Um <laughs> Any, I mean, it, I mean, he wasn't one ninety nine like Brady was. He was one ninety one. But right. uh, you know, I think we talked to you about this when we had you on the Football Is America show a few weeks back. But um, is there any excitement or any any talk at all? I mean, he's a Michigan guy that got drafted to the Lions. So is there any hoopla surrounding this guy? Uh, there's a lot of hoopla going both ways. Um, it, it's it's an interesting situation because Rudock didn't come in playing very well for Michigan. But by the season's end, Jim Harbaugh kind of had him looking like a legit quarterback and, and probably more of, you know, the dreaded game manager label. But he, he you know, he excelled. And, and that improvement is what has got a, a bunch of Michigan slappies. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a University of Michigan graduate. I didn't want the Lions to draft Jake Rudock. <laughs> <laughs> Not only because I don't really think – Let's be clear here. Jake Rudock is never going to be a starting quarterback. He's going to be, at his best, a, a solid backup. Um, I'm not sure he can even make it to that. My main reasoning for for not really wanting the Lions to draft Jake Rudock is, I think anytime that Matthew Stafford falters a little bit, there are going to be a huge amount of fans that are pulling for for Jake Rudock. And if I'm if I'm putting out a guess, rookie year he's probably not on the team. He's probably on the practice squad the whole year. But the idea is that he will develop into that backup quarterback. The Lions currently have Dan Orlovsky on the team. No one likes Dan Orlovsky. 
he right. he became the face of the 0-16 season after he ran out of the end zone unknowingly against the Vikings. Right. And he's he's now one of two players that remain from that 2018 even though even though he jumped over to the uh, the Colts for a couple years in between. He and the Lions long snapper who actually might get cut this season um are the only two remaining players from that team. So the Lions could potentially go into the season with just uh, Dan Orlowski is that stark reminder of that dark 2008 season. Oh man, I I still remember that play. Him him running for his life from Jared Allen and yep. he just starts running out of bounds for some reason, and Allen can't believe it as he's watching <laughs> the guy run across the the back stripe there uh, at the end. So yeah, that was pretty that was pretty awful. Not not a fine moment in the franchise's history. No, no, but. Um, so let's move on to the the schedule as we start to wrap things up here, uh, Jeremy. We we talked about this last year because the the Lions had a you know had us had three out of four to start the year on the road and three out of four to finish it uh, on the road, and it looks like they did it to you guys again this year. It's three out of four on the road to to begin. You got Indy on the road, home for Tennessee, then on the road at Green Bay and Chicago, and then at the end of the season. You got three out of the last five. I mean, you finish at home against Green Bay on New Year's Day, but three out of four before that at New Orleans, home for the Bears, at the Giants, at Dallas before finishing at Green Bay. Um, So a lot of home games there in the middle, but, you know, for the most part, the NFL's got you guys finishing and starting on the road, same as last year. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting schedule, and I think the biggest gripe Lions fans had for had with it it was the beginning of that schedule you know playing two division games in the first four games on the road um playing at indy which isn't an easy place to play either um but actually you know looking at the schedule as a whole it's actually kind of favorable in a couple interesting ways the lines only have i think two games outdoors all season against uh let's see who is it it's at the bears and lambo yeah well, the, that would be oh, three oh, games. Okay. So that's right. Like Lambeau, so Lambeau and Chicago and then the Giants. Then the Giants. So three, that's... three games outdoors all season, which is pretty interesting, pretty pretty beneficial. And Yeah, and only one cold weather game, that game against the Giants in December. Right. Those first two those first two outdoor games are in Green Bay and Chicago, September twenty fifth and October second, when weather is near perfect that time of year. Right. So in terms of that, I think the lines actually um, benefited from the, the schedule makers a little bit there. Um, but like last year, they're really in danger of off to a slow start again, and we've seen how that kind of can debilitate the team quite a bit. Sure. So so that, to me, is kind of the biggest downside to the schedule. But that, but overall, I think, I think Lions fans are pretty happy. Um, obviously, all the teams in the NFC North are playing um, teams in the AFC South, and I think everyone's pretty happy about that. Yeah. So... Um, you know the schedule looks a little easier than it did last year, but it's really it's always early to say that. There's always going to be teams that surprise you. So, um, yeah, I think I think in general, Lions fans are actually pretty happy with what came out of the schedule. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I just thought it was interesting that last year it was three out of four to start on the road, three out of four yeah. to finish yeah. on the road, and it pretty much got an identical schedule to that as far as the the beginning and the end. Uh, of the season it's like what does the nfl have against detroit but uh you know i mean it was um you know going into this year you know as i do these opponent previews 
you know, we have the AFC South and the NFC East. Easy to argue those were the two worst divisions in football right. last year. But the NFC East, it was more about injuries uh, and, and everything because uh, most of those teams kind of like stood pat as far as what they had. Right. Aside from the Giants, nobody went out and, and, and made their mark in free agency or anything like that. With the AFC South, it was we're a terrible division, so we've got a lot of work to do. And Tennessee, Jacksonville, Houston, they all went out free agents and then of course Tennessee you know went cog wild in the draft trading away the number one pick and and all that kind of stuff so neither one of these divisions I really think are going to look like they did last year like I don't think they're going to be the laughing stocks that they were last year which is the one thing that has me upset about that right right I really wish we could have had these two divisions last season because that would have been interesting to see you know because with the level of you know, just being in our division with the Packers and the Vikings, you know, the Bears have Fangio and, you know, John Fox and, and, you know, Adam, um, Adam Gase, we, you know, he's gone, but Ryan Pace really seems to have his head on straight about what he wants to do and, you know, what the Lions were able to do in the second half of the season, simplifying the offense, getting things done there, you know, solidifying the, the trenches with the draft and then, you know, really kind of trying to play to the strengths of that offense instead of trying to make it something that it's not. Um, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting year. Like, I don't think it's going to be like, hey, we're going to go 8-0 and against the East and the South, and then we're right. going to duke it out in the North, and then whoever has 13 wins at the end of the year will be the one that actually gets to go to the playoffs because we all got eight wins in the bag against those two crappy divisions, so <laughs> right. we're good to go. You know, it's going to be whoever has the – whoever doesn't have triple digits and victories at the end of the season is the one not going to the playoffs. Yeah, and that NFC East division is always just impossible to predict. I think every team in that division is just, you know, has the doctor, um, has, sorry, uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type thing going with them. And, you know, with, with Tony Romo healthy, who knows even if he will remain healthy. And, and yeah, like you said, just, you, you can't pencil in eight wins there. It'd be insane to do something like that at this point. And teams are just, you know, they're going to be a lot different. They always are each year, and there's always going to be a team that surprises. And while I think the NFC North is going to be crazy, crazy, crazy competitive this year, um, you just you just can't predict that they're going to be that much better than other divisions. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, if you just look at last year, what you thought was going to happen in the NFC East, the complete opposite yeah. happened because the 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 Cowboys were supposed to come in and. You know, after the way they played in 2014, it was their division to lose. The Eagles were the uncrowned Super Bowl champion going into the season last year, and the Redskins were the were number 32 with a bullet in the power rankings. And what happens? The Cowboys finish last. Chip Kelly doesn't even finish the year in Philadelphia, and the Redskins win the division. So it's just you know how crazy of an up and down year it can be, and how unpredictable that NFC East division uh, can be. And they've had a whole offseason to work on what they had wrong last year to see, you know, who's going to emerge from that division. It's um, it's going to be interesting to watch and, uh, you know, see how 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 they how they act against the NFC North uh, this year when we play um, play those teams this year. Wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to see that sort of parity in the NFC North? 
It would, actually. <laughs> yeah. It really would. I mean, talking <laughs> from the teams that, you know, spend most of the time on the bottom half of the division, it would be nice to be like Chicago 1, Detroit 2, or Detroit 1, Chicago 2, and Green Bay and Minnesota are at home watching football in January while the Bears and the Lions are duking it out with the NFC's elite. That would be nice to see uh, for a change. Hasn't happened in a really long time. We're talking like early 90s since maybe something like that happened yeah that green bay and minnesota were at home for the playoffs and the bears and the lions were were uh were playing it's been a long time since something like that like wayne fonts mike ditka is how long <laughs> it's been since that happened <laughs> that that was a fun time i didn't realize how fun it was at the time it didn't seem like it was that fun but <laughs> if, if i had known how the next two decades were gonna go i'd take that every year well, you know, Wayne Fonts was constantly coaching for his job, but it just seemed like, uh, you know, Chris Berman made his whole career on EP- ESPN talking about how, you know, uh, what's his name, Fonts was Rasputin or whatever, the guy that just won't die. Because right. uh, just when every, you know, when he starts three and six, all of a sudden he's 10 and six and they're going to the playoffs again. They won the <laughs> NFC Central and, and now, you know, so he comes back again and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, is Wayne Fonts is he still alive? Because he kind of fell off the fell yeah. off the face of the earth after he after he left. Detroit. I looked him up a couple months ago. I think he's kicking it in Florida. Just you know, retired with the rest of them down there. God bless him, man. It was <laughs> uh, it was it was an interesting time when he was the head coach in the Lions. It there was a lot of parody parody in the in the division yeah. uh, back then. It really did seem like teams took turns winning the division back then before you know everybody kind of fell off and it was you know Favre and the Packers and then Rodgers and the Packers now it's uh it would be nice to see that parody now that you mention it you know if it doesn't have to be us at least it's not Green Bay I would like for it to be that way I mean granted we finally had somebody other than Green Bay win the division last year but it wasn't the same Green Bay still made the playoffs I would love for an Aaron Rodgers led team to not make the playoffs that would be great to see happen just one time you know yeah and it didn't even feel like green bay lost the division last year i think there was even like an espn article that incorrectly called them the division winners from last year because they went further in the playoffs and they did and you know i think a lot of people think that maybe they even threw that last game so that they could have a more uh beneficial matchup in the in the postseason so yeah let's just let's just keep the packers out of january one year that would be nice (laughs) <laughs> that would be nice for the only game they play on January be that meaningless week 17 game. That would be great if yeah. that's how it went down. <laughs> so, um, well, Jeremy, thanks so much, uh, for, for, for coming back and, and previewing the, uh, the season with us. Uh, it's, I find it terribly unfortunate that you're a Lions fan because I happen to like you quite a bit. <laughs> um, you know, we could be much better friends if you didn't root for the team that I hate the most in our division. You know, Larry, um, that feeling is completely mutual. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if we could just, I mean, I mean, I just to be fair, I want to have a split this year at the very because okay. I don't think that you'll be able to speak to me if. <laughs> You know, like, I just won't be here anymore if after December 11th, the second matchup of the season, we're talking about a fourth consecutive sweep of the Bears uh, by the Lions. I think I'm just going to throw myself off the Centennial Bridge here in the Quad Cities. It's just, that's just going to be it. Like, I don't I don't want to come back and see it again because if we got swept by the Lions, John Fox is getting fired and we're going to have to start over again because this just can't happen. Uh, anymore so. i'm glad you brought up the three straight years because i had it in my back pocket i wasn't sure if i was, <laughs> was going to use it but but hey you you pulled the the self-destruct button yourself 
<laughs> yeah, I just don't think that I could handle that again. I'm sure my listeners would love it as far as the entertainment value of it, <laughs> but uh, I don't think that I want to have to suffer through that uh, a fourth time. Yeah. So, um, you know, we got you at home week number three or four. Yeah. Uh, to kick things off, so hopefully we can correct the problem there, and then whatever happens in Detroit at the, the end of the season, we'll worry about it then. So, <laughs> but um, you know, as we did last year, we'd love to have you back on to to preview the the two games and uh, see where our team's at. I mean, it'll be an interesting time because we got you right at the end of the first quarter and right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, of the season you know so very interesting times and you know what we'll know at the end of those first three weeks and what we'll know going into those last four it uh you know we're catching each other at a very interesting time in the season this year yeah yeah it'll be an interesting season i don't think i don't think either fan base really knows what to expect out of this year so um we probably won't have it figured out by week four but we'll have a pretty good idea by week 11 or so or week 12 yeah so that's uh should be uh, should be interesting, and uh, look forward to having you back on, man. All right, look forward to being here. All right, Jeremy Reisman, PrideofDetroit.com on SB Nation, helping us preview the 2016 Detroit Lions. Always fun to have Jeremy on the show. Guy's got a great sense of humor. And, and you know, when, when you're fans of the teams that we're fans of, it's helpful to have a sense of humor because otherwise you just wouldn't be able to get through it. I mean, the Bears have had their up and down years. I mean, the Lions definitely have had theirs. I mean, we talked about, you know, Wayne Fonts and Mike Ditka there uh, at the end. I mean, those were kind of the glory days uh, for our franchises uh, there. I mean, we had some good years with Lovey Smith, but it was more down than up. And, uh, you know, same thing with, with Wayne Fonts. It's just the guy just found a way to keep himself alive one year after the other. So, uh, you know, you have to have a sense of humor, especially in the NFL, because, uh, I mean, like we were talking about the NFC East, the Redskins were supposed to be the worst team in football last year. The the, the Cowboys supposed to make a run at the title. Instead, it was the, the Cowboys who had a top five draft pick and the Redskins who won the division. So there is no predicting what happens in the NFL. If you can predict it, you've definitely got a crystal ball and you should be in Vegas making money for sure. So um, always great to have him on. Looking forward to talking to him. These are the people we talk to twice uh, in the year. We have them week four and I think week 14 right at the right at the precipice of very interesting times in the year finishing up that first quarter of the season and kicking off that final quarter uh, of the season is when we're having the lions uh this year so it's going to be interesting times uh at both points in the season and and what our teams look like and what the progress is like at both points in the season is going to be interesting to find out uh when we have uh jeremy back on so um that's going to wrap it up for our lions uh preview and um now we make way for Green Bay and the Packers and the Minnesota Vikings to wrap up this NFC North division, to wrap up this godforsaken offseason and get to some football. I mean, I was watching Canadian football the other day. How depressing is that? Such a low-grade f- amount. I mean, it's, the game is all different. The field is weird. It's just the, the, the uniforms are – actually, the uniforms aren't bad. You, know, you guys know how I am with the uniforms. The uniforms aren't bad. The play out there is terrible. They have, you know, sponsor logos all over the uniforms. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I ended up watching that for like an hour when I was out for dinner 
the other night. It was kind of sad, actually. So I don't want to do that anymore. I want to watch real football with real football players who actually make a living. It's like the <laughs> the guys in Canada, you know, they make more money than I'm making, obviously, but these are guys that have to have jobs in the off season. That's how much money you make in Canada playing football. So, um, you know, I want real football with real football players who play football for a living. You know what I'm saying? So uh, can't wait for that to get uh, kicked off here, and we're getting closer all the time. Uh, to it so I, I don't remember what the countdown was at but it was a number that uh you know I'm, I'm increasingly happier with and uh you know so we'll have evan western on uh here towards the end of the week then we'll talk to chris gates wrap up the nfc north and move on to the bears preview and finally put a cap on this 14 episode journey that we've all been on with each other i want to thank you all so much uh for doing it with me so uh until then we come back with evan from the acme packing company on sb nation my name is larry d and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.